These are the most loyal, hardest working people, hungry to work. They bring a lot to the table. It's just done in a different way. Welcome to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast, where we explore the strategies and experiences that are driving mid-sized manufacturers forward. Here, you'll discover new insights from passionate manufacturing leaders who have compelling stories to share about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from B2B sales and marketing experts about how to apply actionable business development strategies inside your business. Let's get into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. I'm Joe Sullivan, your host, and a co-founder of the industrial marketing agency, Gorilla76, where we help B2B manufacturers grow through revenue-focused marketing programs. Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, Elon Musk. When you hear those names, what do you think of? I would guess that the first word that comes to your mind is not autism. In fact, I imagine that many of you listening may not even know that these super entrepreneurs, some of the most famous and successful in history, fall on the autism spectrum. And those three only make up the beginning of a long list. Today's interview is one of the most important I've conducted in 136 episodes of this show. My guest is not only a successful entrepreneur who happens to be autistic, but also an advocate for those who are too afraid to talk about this topic. He helped me identify a blind spot that I have as a business leader, and I'm confident he will for many of you listening as well. Let me introduce him. Peter Mann is the CEO and founder of Virginia-based Aransi, a leading air purification company and known for its efficient, intuitive, and reliable products for consumers, schools, organizations, and businesses. In 2021, Aransi merged with Avimora Technologies and is now a motor technology company with a clean energy mission. Aransi's new manufacturing facility in Radford, Virginia, is making products in the USA with advanced motor technologies. Previously, Peter was the founder and CEO of the Austin, Texas-based Allen Corporation, an air purification company he built, and after seven years, had a successful exit. Peter went to college on a Navy ROTC scholarship and then served four years, including a tour in the Red Sea during the first Gulf War. He was a communications officer and then gunnery officer on the USS McCandless. Peter is late diagnosed autistic and now advocates for autism awareness in the workplace. Peter, welcome to the show. Uh, Thanks, Joe. Excited to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. Well, Peter, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your backstory that has led you to where you are today as CEO of Aransi. You can start wherever you'd like. (laughs) <laughs> well, it's been it's been kind of a long journey. When I went into college, I didn't know what I wanted to do and, and was given the opportunity of the of the Navy scholarship to pay for my college. And that's kind of where I got my start. And I never would have thought that I, I would be running a business <laughs> at this point. And then looking back, it's it's really just been an evolution. I've worked at two Fortune 100 technology companies, and that's Dell and Tech Data in the computer industry. And that's really where I got my kind of MBA on the job in terms of understanding how businesses, distribution, manufacturing to a certain extent, as well as marketing. And in going through that process, really, I gravitated towards marketing, 
because a special interest of mine has always been human behavior and people aren't rational. It's always been so fascinating to me. As I learned later that I'm autistic and, and, and being different, it's it's even since I was a little kid, I've observed that like, wow, that doesn't make any sense why someone's doing that. And so when I when I started the e-commerce business in, in 2002, it was really, I really pulled together all the experiences I'd had to that date. And it was also the timing was great because that's when the computer or the internet was really taking off. And I was able to really pour all of the, everything that I've learned as well as a focus in, in, in doing a startup and driving that to success. That's great. It's, it's interesting how one day you wake up and you're like, wow, I, I'm a business owner and I've, I've built this company. And I, there's a, a marketing agency advisor that I've been following for years. His name is Drew McClellan. And he says, most of us out here are accidental business owners. And it just, something happens, you've, you've, you wind up with certain experiences and you find an opportunity and all of a sudden kind of there you are. I never, while I, while I am not surprised that I wound up as a, a marketing agency owner myself, I, if you told me 15 years ago, I'd be working specifically with B2B manufacturers, I would have <laughs> said, what's that mean? And how, no way. Right. So yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool to, to hear how people's people wind up where they are. Yeah, most definitely. So you, you mentioned the e-commerce business that you founded in the early 2000s. This has got to be around or maybe right after that dot-com bubble. I, I, don't, I don't know exactly mm -hmm. where, where that fell in. And Yeah, uh, that was the push to get into it because I was at Dell at the time uh, and the dot-com bubble hit. And it was, it was really not a fun place to be when you're just doing rounds of layoffs for weeks or months on end. And it's like, yeah. this isn't, that culture really changed and like this isn't fun anymore and it kind of gave me the the push to go off and start something new because i'd always wanted to start a business and want the autonomy but i was like well there's some risk involved and i'm not sure if i want to do it but after the dot-com bubble burst and just the mood of the organization just took a took a dark <laughs> change it's like oh i think it's time and and what i did just to ice the risk was uh, e-commerce business was my night job from 7 to 11 p.m. And then I did the Dell during the day. And then after six or seven months, it, it was like, oh, this this thing has legs. And so then I left Dell and, and went into it full time. So that was a way to kind of continue to have a salary while building something in the evenings. Sounds very, very familiar to me from about <laughs> five years after you on your timeline. But <laughs> yeah. So what, tell me, you know, I imagine you probably learned so much from being able to run that e-commerce business, especially at that point in time. What, what did you learn from those early e-commerce experiences that's influenced what you're doing today and your path to get there? Yeah, I think a lot of it, I don't know if you've seen Bill Gross has a real popular YouTube video where he's looked at startups and really what drives success for them. And you can look at how much funding you have, what your team is, how good you are at executing. But the number one thing is timing, like being in the right place at the right time. Like Mark Zuckerberg moving Facebook is like if he came along 10 years earlier, 10 years later, he would not be where he is today. It's just timing. I guess there's some luck, but it's also having awareness for the market and where the opportunities are and taking advantage. And, and at the end of the day, you have to execute. But timing is is really critical. And for us in the early 2000s, 
there wasn't a lot of competition if you were setting up an e-commerce <laughs> site to sell. Google ads cost five cents a click and and the and websites were terrible. I mean, it was just, you remember like this bulletin board looking <laughs> tech sites yeah. and then and then it changed to where people had all these pop-ups and it was just super annoying. And so the the competition wasn't there. This was a new market and and the and the marketing advertising costs were almost free. And so it was, it was, I got lucky because of the, because of the timing, but I also had all that experience from tech data and Dell, which is, I worked on Dell.com. So I understood websites and bringing products to market. I was a marketing lead for the Dell printer launch. And, and so it's like everything just lined up where it just made sense to me <laughs> like that this could work, but yeah. And so going to where we are today, it's like timing continues to be a thing. It's like, where's the market? What are the opportunities? What are the supply chain issues? And, and just really having awareness for the marketplace and understanding that the, the timing of, of what is going on currently and, and how do you best take advantage of that and leverage that. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're in the air purification world. I'm curious what that's looked like over the last two and a half years during a <laughs> pandemic. Like is, has what's, how's demand changed? How's the messaging changed about why, why air purification? Yeah, I would say before COVID, it was largely a, a B2C marketplace. It's more like Dell uh, mm-hmm. model. And so we're vertically integrated. We manufacture the products and sell direct to the customer. When COVID hit, it completely changed. It doubled or tripled the market pretty pretty quickly. And, and, and it became somewhat of a B2B space because there's so much government funding for this. Because when, when COVID started, there wasn't a vaccine. And schools were just going out buying air purifiers because there, there was no defense <laughs> against this. And it really changed the market. And now that we're, well, it doesn't seem like it right now with RSV, the flu and COVID <laughs> coming back. But in a lot of people's minds, they've moved beyond COVID. And so the B2B market has really slowed down where it's almost reverting back to where it was pre-COVID to be really reverting back to more of a B2C type market. Although that that could change depending upon what happens with viruses this winter. Yeah. Interesting. Well, Peter, let's shift gears here. So I know you were diagnosed with autism as an adult, and um, I'd love to hear you tell us a little bit about how, how did you discover this in the first place? And then we'll, after that, we can get into how, how you've sort of worked around that or even taken advantage of of that in in positive ways in your career so maybe tell us how how, yeah. how did you learn about it in the first place so i learned about it from well my my wife was watching a cbs morning show and she was just doing stuff in the kitchen and it was on and they did this profile of someone i think she worked at nasa and she described her tendencies and her skills and she's she's found me and said you need to watch this and it was just just like me in terms of being a pattern, seeing patterns or seeing changes or having a hyper focus ability and just describing some of the differences that I'm like, I saw it and I was like, whoa, this, this is this is pretty wild. And and in just reflecting on it, I'm like, that explains so much when you go back. And and so for me, 
I really didn't even know what autism was. And I don't think most people do. It's it's largely an awareness issue. And so I went online and they have all these online tests that you could take and kind of see where your scores are. And the the, the most popular one, it actually was created by Simon Baron Cohen. He's related to Sasha Baron Cohen. Oh, <laughs> Just, no kidding. He's a British researcher at Cambridge. And he has this 50-point test, which is more or less the standard that everyone uses. And a neurotypical person, typical person, scores maybe 16, 17 on that score. And more than 80% of autistic folks score 30 or above. And I took it and I scored a 43. And so I and I was like, whoa. <laughs> and then I took nine more tests after that that I found and paid for a bunch. And I scored high on every single one. And I was like, how am I not autistic after, after reading this? And I didn't realize it at that time, but within the autistic community, if you associate with the autistic traits or associate, you know, you don't have to be diagnosed to consider yourself as autistic. And so, but I'm like, I don't want to be a poser. So I went and found someone that would do a, the diagnostics. And I've, it's it's so hard because it's really set up for children. It's not really set up for adults. And it, the other thing is it's really brand new and, and not really understood by science or the medical communities. And they've really only been diagnosing people well for the last 10 to 15 years. And so if you're 30s and up, you likely were never diagnosed because the diagnostics weren't set up for many people who are autistic it's like those that can get by and mask and 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 hide their way of being <laughs> even without knowing it yourself you're you're never you're you're never discovered as being autistic and so i did find someone that was able to do a telehealth diagnosis but it was actually a tests and interviews and the whole thing and she came back and gave me a report and basically confirmed basically what all those 10 online <laughs> tests had told me and it was it was i just remember sitting there and i said wow that's that's a lot to take in i mean it's just kind of this emotion goes over you that you've lived your entire life and and, and then you go back and you relive all these big events in your life like i'm like this explains all of my successes and and all of my failures and it's, it's, I don't know how to de describe it, but it's, it's the most life-changing thing that I've, I've ever gone through. And the reason why I'm talking about it and advocating it is I know there's so many other people that are autistic and don't know it. It's got to be crazy to discover such a, a big piece about yourself and yeah. never, never seen it before. <laughs> and then, then to, yeah, have that realization, like, well, I, I now I understand this about me and, and this right. about me. And I, yeah, I can't imagine how emotional that must have been to have that revelation. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. Yeah. And it's, I've just kind of dove into it. And so I understand it really well now. And I understand why it's so stigmatized and misunderstood. And it's really a, a shame because it's, you know, as a lot of people are saying, it's it's misclassified. Mm. It's classified as like a medical disorder, and it's it's not. It's really just part of natural like biodiversity. It's just our brains are wired differently. Yeah, 
but the way it's viewed is you're viewed as through a deficit lens. And so it's like, well, this is the one way that you do social interactions. This is the, you know, the, <laughs> the one way that sensory sensitivity works. And if you're autistic, you're just, your brain's wired differently. It's like being left-handed versus right-handed and viewing left-handed people as defective right-handed people when it's like, yeah. no, they just, their brain works differently. And, and there's, there, it's just a, in a large part, an awareness issue. And I think people understand that all autism is, is a difference in social interactions, a difference in sensory sensitivities, which I would say, unless you, you have this lived experience, everyone else has no clue what you're going through. Mm -hmm. And that shows up in the workplace too. And then the need for routines is the other thing. And the routines is really just to manage anxiety. It's not to be difficult or rigid. It's, it's, and, and once you understand that's all autism is, it, you know, hopefully the stigma kind of goes away, but for certain, we're all different. There's all these different axes for autism for there's different cognition levels. There's different abilities to speak. There's different, and there's co-occurring conditions and, and it could be ADHD or you could be autistic pure, or, or you can have a number of other things, but people kind of have this vision in their head of, of really just the worst of the worst. And it's, and it's things that is autism plus a number of other conditions, and that's all grouped into autism. And that's really not what autism is. Okay, let's take a quick break here. I want to let a couple of our strategists at Gorilla76 tell you about something pretty cool that we're doing right now for marketing folks in the manufacturing sector. Peyton and Mary, take it away. Yes. So I'm Peyton Warren. And I'm Mary Keo. Twice a month, we host a live event called Industrial Marketing Live. Right now, we have a group of 50 plus industrial marketers from a variety of manufacturing organizations. We meet up digitally to learn, ask questions, network, and get smarter. Every session has a designated topic. And one of our team members at Gorilla76 opens up by teaching for the first half hour or so. Topics have included how to get better at a manufacturing webinar, getting started with paid social on LinkedIn, how to optimize your website for conversions, creating amazing video content, and so much more. After we break it down, we open it up to Q&A so we can help you apply all of this in your own businesses. This is pure value, no cost, no strings attached, no product or service pitches, just a 100% unadulterated learning experience. Oh, and on top of these live sessions, we've also opened up a Slack channel where our attendees bounce ideas off each other and learn together all week long between sessions. We're building a true community of manufacturing marketing professionals here. So if you or someone at your company has the word marketing in his or her job title, please consider telling them about it. They can visit industrialmarketinglive.com to register. We'd love to see you there. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear you talk about this. And one thing that you mentioned to me in our last conversation was that having been diagnosed with autism or having your brain wired in the way it is often will lead itself or lend itself to an entrepreneurial tendency. And mm -hmm. I'd love to hear from your perspective, obviously you've been an entrepreneur for your much of your, your career. What, why is that from your perspective? Just kind of break that down for us. 
Yeah, so part of it is societal driven. I think if you look at the stats, most autistic people are unemployed. And then those that are employed in companies are underemployed, like a PhD making minimum wage <laughs> kind of thing. And in it, and it's a lot of it's due to the social interactions. Like I, I worked at those two big companies and I got to be director level, but I, I really didn't see a lot of a future for myself because I don't do the politics. I don't really care about any of the social engagements. And and you get kind of, you know, it's like this isn't the right, you know, you you kind of I'm like, I'm gonna top out in this thing. And entrepreneurship is more of you can kind of really just focus on the job. If you look at Silicon Valley, there's that's kind of the mecca for for autistic folks. And a lot of the, not a lot, but as a number of people that started companies there that are autistic, <laughs> that that don't, it's not something that's really talked about just because it's so stigmatized, but your, your, your thinking is, it's just a different way of thinking. A few neurotypical people generally are top-down thinkers and autistic folks are, are detailed bottom-up thinkers. And so we're thinking through all the different variations of something. Whereas if you're a top-down thinker, you're like, oh, let's think outside the box. Like you have to remind yourself to think outside the box. And if you're a bottom-up thinker, there is no box. Like you're <laughs> thinking through all these different variations, how all the different pieces work. Um, if you're a top-down thinker, you you kind of miss a lot of that because you're filtering through just a, a more narrow you know lens of how you see things. And, you know, I think it's the combination of you can have more success because you can control what you're doing and really put your energy in on, you know, this detailed type thinking and execute on that versus having to deal with any of the social interactions that, you know, if you're a startup or entrepreneur, it's like, that's not even part of the deal. You're just trying to get this thing built and off the ground. <laughs> it's, 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 you're in a, you're in a different place. The other thing I would add is the one area where autistic folks really shine is in the areas of innovation and invention. And that really is more of a entrepreneurial thing. Like if you're a huge company, they're not really looking to create something <laughs> like that's really not where their focus is. They may buy a company that that does something like that, but that's not really what they do. And as an entrepreneur, like you've got to be creative and you've got to be innovative and, you know, you got to be you know, willing to change and uh, your ideas or, or what you're doing or really put in the, the time. Like for me, I get my dopamine from work. And so like other people like to go to parties and talk to, like that is just small talk is just like a killer for me. I'd rather be working on work. Then, and so when Elon Musk talks about he works 80 to 100 hours a week, it's like, yeah, that's where you get your dopamine from. Like, why would you not do that? And, and so as an entrepreneur, like, that's really what you need as an entrepreneur to get your, your enterprise off the ground. And so it just lines up so well with that. And, you know, for a bigger company, it's like, well, let's have this party. Let's have this. And it's, 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 we're just not wired to, do well in those environments because it doesn't really create dopamine. It's more of a cortisol. <laughs> it's like, and, and it's because like, I really want to be working on this thing I'm working on, but instead I'm having to go and talk to somebody about something I really don't care about. And, and it's, it's more of a, I think of it like 
if you're going somewhere and it's like, do you get on the highway and get from point A to point B? Or do you take the back roads and read the historical markers and <laughs> visit places along the way? And, and for me, and as an autistic person, I'm task oriented. I want to get from point A to point B. And when I get to point B, I want to then get to point C. And, and the social thing that is so, and I get it with that we're social beings, but you know, if you don't get your dopamine from that, it's, it's and so it's just a completely different perspective, but you're misunderstood as being rude or, you know, and so it's just, you know, entrepreneurship is really, you know, you can kind of control your destiny. Well, it was really interesting to hear you mention some names. I mean, you just said Elon Musk. And when we talked last, Steve Jobs, uh, yep. Bill Gates, all most likely, all, most likely, right? And and it sounds like I, you know, I got Google search it after we talked. I'm like, wow, really? And I, I would never have guessed this. And maybe that's, maybe I just don't realize that in other people, that's more public knowledge, but there's there's certainly enough out there to lead you to believe that some of some of the greatest entrepreneurs of our time and essentially ever fell on the autism spectrum in, in some capacity and it's it, it's it's too bad that pe more people don't realize this because I think the the stigma attached to it or just the lack of awareness is is really it's a, it's a shame because I did an interesting podcast a while back it looks like it went live back in April as I look at it here it's, it was with Tony Lopez from Pride Industries and I don't know if you've heard of them but they're mm -hmm. a, a contract manufacturer that is focused on essentially putting people with disabilities of of all kinds from things like autism and but also physical disabilities and but they're advocates in, in their own business and and just for the manufacturing world of helping people understand how to bring people with various dis disabilities into the organization and find the right place for them so they can be successful but it was kind of my first look at the stigma that is often associated with it. So I love that you're talking about it. I, I love just hearing all the the entrepreneurial tendencies and some of the people who have become the greatest entrepreneurs that anybody even knows about and the fact that they they were on that spectrum. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you could add Nikola Tesla, Thomas Edison, mm -hmm. Sir Isaac Newton, greatest scientists. I mean, when you read their biographies, they're just anti, they're, they're kind of described as antisocial. All they want to do is sit and do their work. Yeah. Uh, Thomas Edison couldn't do 10,000 iterations of something if he slept and lived in his office and worked 18 hours a day and his wife brought him food to his office because like that's, that's where he got his energy from. It's just, it's just a different way. And it's, um, yeah, it's really not identified. It's, and it's not just in like science and inventions. It's also, there's a lot of creative folks in the arts. Mm. If you look at, you know, David Byrne from Talking Heads and, you know, there's there's a whole list of folks that, but it's really not talked about just because it's so demonized or stigmatized and it, it really shouldn't be. I think if you talk to any parent and you say, do you wish your child was autistic? You get almost zero of them and say yes. And, and, you know, and in many ways, we're not as good at some things, but we're better at other things. And it's just a difference. Well, Peter, to make this somewhat actionable or to be able to provide some some advice, I'd love to hear what do you have to say to business leaders and in particular those in manufacturing about you know, what can they do to be more inclusive for people who have something like autism in, in their world and 
you know, to kind of break through that stigma and become more, more educated and aware of what that can mean and to open opportunities for, for people who fall on that spectrum. Yeah, I would say autism is actually, it, it is classified as a disability. It's a minority and a disability, like we're 2% of the population mm-hmm. and it's classified as a disability. But in my opinion, much of the disability comes from the societal norms that are inflexible to change to meet the needs of the autistic person. Meaning like, you know, you have to look someone in the eye and if you don't look someone in the eye, they're being rude or, mm-hmm. and it's like, you, you need to have different, I mean, I mean the, the problem with autistic people is we set off red flags that were untrustworthy or rude the way neurotypicals are. And like, if I look someone in the eye and have a conversation, my brain shuts down. And so it's like, do you want me to answer your question? Or do you want me to <laughs> like look at you in the eye so you don't think I'm rude and have just a blank thing with no words coming out? Like, those are my choices. And, <laughs> and so what we end up doing is masking and masking is like, oh, I'll look you in the cheek so that doesn't shut my brain down, but I'm kind of faking it. So you think I'm looking at you so you don't judge me. So there's like all this, it's exhausting living your life that way. And that's just one example of what we have to do. Just And, you know, and so the way the societal norms are, in many ways, it creates or exacerbates the disability. I think for a lot of folks, it really would not be much of a disability at all if, if society was more open and inclusive. I've talked with dozens of autistic folks that, you know, I I put this message out on LinkedIn and I said, hey, if you're autistic and trying to get a job or interviewing or working up, just I'm happy to to talk with you and and share what I've learned. And I've got so many responses. I met with so many people. And the common themes were when someone disclosed they were autistic, their interviews got canceled. Or they would be in an interview and they would be asked a question, tell me about yourself, which to a neurotypical person is a normal question. To an autistic person, it is just like your brain explodes because you're a detailed bottom-up thinker. You don't even know where to begin with that question. Mm-hmm. And and they don't even get halfway through answering it and then they get walked out. You're like, you're not the right person for us. And so the interview process is is really set up for autistic folks to fail. It's not inclusive. What companies can do to make it more inclusive is one, provide the questions ahead of time. You know, we do a lot of thinking and we want to give the best answer. And we're thinking through a lot more things than most people think through. And it takes it's it takes time to do that. And if you ask a question that someone hasn't thought about, they're gonna fumble it you know they're not going to do well and they're going to fail in the interview and that's why it's so hard to get hired as an autistic person so if you can provide the questions ahead of time it's not unfair it's it's making it more inclusive and and fairer for everyone and the other thing is let autistic people show what they can do don't make it so much of a verbal um situation and a lot of the tech companies are doing that but you know if if you're hiring a greeter at walmart well this may not be your person right but if it's a different type of job like these are the most loyal hardest working people hungry to work they bring a lot to the table it's just done in a different way and so you have to you know if you can have an open mind that um you know what is the job at hand and this asking this question really relevant 
to what this person needs to do to be successful in the job. I mean, you should really want to hire the best person for the job and not introduce things that that just disqualify people out of the gate. And so I don't know. That's <laughs> oh. that's kind of my, you know, just talking to so many people, just just struggling to to get hired. And it's just, you know, the world isn't set up for us. And it's it's largely just like I've said, you know, it's an awareness issue. Uh, I think that was such a powerful, you know, segment there. I, I think you you summed that up so well. And I mean, I I kind of have the chills because honestly, I'm sitting here as a business owner thinking, how many times have I interviewed somebody, and maybe I didn't, I wasn't even giving them a fair chance because I didn't know. I I you know, to me, it was yeah, this person doesn't really know how to how to you know yeah. communicate well and. Uh, and and if if I knew right going into into that situation, which I'm sure many people listening right now are, are probably thinking back on situations that were probably very similar. And if you if the awareness is there, you can go in and you can approach it differently. And then, like you said, also you find there are going to be certain situations or certain job roles that are going to be perfect for somebody who thinks this way or whose brain is wired this mm-hmm. way versus this way. But if you don't know, then you're you're gonna look at it as oh this this person is is you know unintelligent or they're they're not you know they they can't socialize and so yeah I, I just think you you said that so well and I think it's such an important message. Yeah yeah thank you and I, I would just add most autistic people are afraid to tell you they're autistic because because mm-hmm. they they've been discriminated against and beaten up their entire lives and I would say. If someone autistic is showing up to interview, they've taken punches their whole life, and it's getting a little like almost emotional. But they keep showing up. They're there's they're persistent. They're you know it's it's hard, and uh, they've survived the public school system, and they're showing up to interview for the job. I mean, this person's resilient. They can. <laughs> I, I don't even know where to begin. It's, um, I mean, it's, it's a lot. Like I could yeah. see and hear the, the emotion and passion and what you're saying. And, and cause you've, you've obviously lived it. And I think it's a, it sounds like a very much a chicken egg situation here. You, you disclose that you're autistic and the, the stigma may disqualify you in somebody's mind. If you don't, then you're being judged for things that people don't even understand. Yeah. So but you can't win. Yeah. And, you know, and it's just, you know, it's like if someone's body language or eye contact isn't great, it's like, well, how relevant is that to the job? Like, are they on assembly line? Yeah. Like, <laughs> <are they? laughs> I mean, you're like, well, this guy's weird. And it's like, well, you don't really know that person and they're doing things for a reason. And it's, it's, yeah, it's it's tough for this, I guess, community, and it's and it's getting better. But even the science and medical community is is really not, in, you know, in the twenty first century. I think in in some ways. Well, I have a ton of respect for you, Peter, and what you've accomplished as an entrepreneur, and and in particular the fact that in a world where people tend to hide behind these keep these things in the background, you're out there talking about it and bringing awareness to the world about autism, because that's the only way anything can change. And so right. if, if I'm, I'm, I'm proud to be able to, to put this message out there to my audience <laughs> and put the spotlight on somebody who has 
been a heck of an entrepreneur and, and built a hell of a career for yourself, frankly. Congrats on what you've accomplished and, and thank you for sharing everything you did today. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. Well, Peter, this was a really great conversation. Uh, you have brought awareness to me and I know you will to hundreds of people who listen to this and I encourage you to keep doing it and finding platforms where you can you, you can shed light on on autism and in particular just the, the idea of being open-minded and, and educating yourself so you know there's there's just a better understanding of how different people think and and socialize differently. I think it's a really positive mission that you have here. So I'm wondering if you could just tell our audience how they can get in touch with you and also where they can learn more about Aransi. Sure. Yeah. Aransi is O-R-A-N-S-I.com. Pretty easy to, <laughs> to find us online and I'm LinkedIn at Peter Mann. And so, yeah, just happy to you know, really connect with anyone and <clears throat> really answer any questions. If anyone has questions around air purification or autism in general. Beautiful. Peter, thank you for doing this today. All right. Thank you so much, Joe. As for the rest of you, I hope to catch you on the next episode of the Manufacturing Executive. You've been listening to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to learn more about industrial marketing and sales strategy, you'll find an ever-expanding collection of articles, videos, guides, and tools specifically for B2B manufacturers at gorilla76.com learn. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.